This is Marcus Rashford, and you're watching BR Football Manager. Welcome to BR Football Ranks. The Premier League is back, boys, and we are very excited. Another league returning, and this is the start of pretty much all football being back. We saw Italy return with the Coppa Italia last week. We know La Liga's back. The Bundesliga's still going, aside from France, which has cancelled. Um, it is very much all on now, and uh, we're very, very excited. My name is Jack Collins, and I will be your host today. And joining me as ever, the full rank squad back in force. Sam Tai. Hello, mate. And Dean Jones. Hello, Jack. Dean, I'm going to go to you first, because I imagine you are the most excited about this development, in, in the same way that I was about La Liga last week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Premier League is my league, isn't it? Um I've definitely tried to jump on board with you boys and I, I do watch all the other leagues now, but ultimately um, I watch way more Premier League football than any other league. And um, yeah, I am looking forward to it. I mean, I it would be more excited if there was more at stake in terms of a title race, obviously. I mean, that does take something away from it for me. Um, the opening game, uh, Sheffield United, Aston Villa, I've got to admit, doesn't do a lot for me. Um, Only got to wait two hours though. <laughs> yeah, and then it really kicks off once once Man City and Arsenal play against each other. So I'll deal I'll deal with the Sheffield United game and just move on immediately afterwards. I'm super excited to watch the Blades. You know, they're in yeah. the middle of, of one of the most potentially historic seasons of all time. Like, Absolutely, yeah. If they get yeah. if they come straight up and get Champions League football next year, which I still think is an outside bet, but very plausible at this point, then I, I think that's kind of almost the same kind of we we'd be putting in the epithets of the same kind of Leicester thing where you, you nearly get relegated and then win the league to get promoted and get Champions League football would be absolutely unreal given the state of the current Premier League yeah I mean they've never played European football so I mean that that's how amazing this is is this is for Sheffield United um definitely nobody saw this this coming i not sh- I think I had them to go down I think at the start of the season, you had a hot take where you said all three promoted clubs are going to stay up. And I said, no, they're not. I definitely said two of the three were going down. I can't remember which two they were now. Um, maybe go back through the tape, Jack, because um, that might be a one for you to talk about. I'm pretty sure that on the Premier League preview podcast, where actually neither of you were here, um, yeah. I did with, with Reese and, and Nick Bright. Terrible, uh, I said... I said, I think it's our most listened to episode ever, actually. Um, and uh, <laughs> I said that Sheffield United would come 12th. And I got laughed out of the room. Um, oh. And Out of your own yeah, studio. Yeah, frankly, I, uh, I feel like I've done them a disservice with that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, had the, I remember having them 17th, uh, which feels ridiculous now. But at the time, it was ridiculous for a different reason, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sam, what are you looking forward to most? I'm uh, not really looking forward to it, to be honest. Premier League's too stressful. Um, I've been enjoying, you know, being reasonably impartial to the other league. So uh, I'm dreading it. <laughs> there's, uh, there's no quarter given from Sam there. Let, let's get into it then. And Dean, let's get into it. The kind of uh, damp squid that you, you mentioned <laughs> to begin with, uh, that is the title race. And uh, I mean, it's not really a title race. Either. This one is very much over, isn't it? But yeah, it's completely done. Yeah, it's just a case of when Liverpool are going to win it. I imagine it'll be as soon as possible. I can't see that they're going to start slowly. Um, I think that the determination to just get this done and dusted will mean that very quickly we have a new Premier League champion and um, history being made for Liverpool in the first time that they've won the Premier League, obviously. Um, and then it all becomes about the also-rans and, and making up the, the European competition places which is exciting in itself because there's definitely plenty at stake for about eight nine teams below them so there is still going to be plenty to play for but um I've, I've got to say like it's as a Liverpool fan it must have been a really stressful time you know all the excitement building up um finally getting that chance to celebrate then wondering if the season was ever going to be completed and now they've got that problem of like are they even going to be able to celebrate it um, and if so how it must be really really weird for them yeah absolutely I mean Sam how quickly are they going to wrap this up 
Uh, what did I need? Six points. I believe so, uh, unless Man City it... dropped points, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Everton, first game. Everton are nowhere close to them. And then Palace three days later. So 24th of June is the answer. <laughs> Everton, Palace, two wins, six points. That's when they win it. Unless, obviously, Man City drop points and, and, it, and, it, and it becomes available earlier. But yeah, that's... That's where we are. They're the best team in the league. I know that they were in a bit of a wobble um, ahead of the break. Obviously, they'd lost, I think, four or six in, in all competitions. They'd gone out of the Champions League. The break actually came at a really nice time. They went from potential treble winners to um, only, only, in inverted commas, being able to win the Premier League, which is still a magnificent achievement. So uh, a little bit of time off will give, do them good. And I think they'll just go and blitz Everton and Palace. Palace just don't have anything to play for. And uh, Everton, of course, the weaker side of that that of that of that fierce derby so uh yeah this the, the motivation is there and i think the path is clear yeah absolutely i mean the the one thing you could say for everton is they will absolutely resent if if city do drop points in either of these games they would resent more than anything liverpool being able to win the title against them and for that reason that game becomes quite crucial to their season, just if for pride. And you remember at Man United playing Man City a couple of years back and City were going to win the title against their neighbours and they were 2-0 up at half-time and it all felt like a, a passage, a process. And United came back to win. And, and there was an interview quite recently, I think, with Ander Herrera, who said it was so important for us to win that. It didn't matter that they won and when the, won the league title a week later. It wasn't about that. It was just about not being humiliated in front of your, your own supporters. And, and for that reason, you know, you might see an Everton tide turn up in with, you know, spirit in, in abundance, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. That was a mad game, wasn't it? That was Pogba. Pogba got a couple. His small, his Chris Smalling got the other one, yeah. It was, just, it was, it was just ridiculous. They were 2-0 they were down. They were dead and buried. And then and United came out and did that. It was one of the more remarkable games of football. I guess, you know, for, 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 the, for the neutral, we, we should be hoping for something similar. Because that would be really entertaining. And obviously for Liverpool, it wouldn't matter. They'd just go on and win it in the third game. But be quite the watch. Absolutely. Right, let's move on to where the, the real drama is then. Let, let's move on to this Champions League race because I think that, you know, the, the two real big storylines in the Premier League are who gets into the Champions League and who stays up. These, these are the two big battles and we'll be talking about the relegation scrap in the second part of the show. But this first half of the episode is going to be all about that European race and it is absolutely enthralling all the way from third place down to ninth 10th even. I'm sure that Burnley would be very upset that I've ignored them in, in the race for Europe. But Arsenal in ninth, Tottenham in eighth, Blades in seventh, Wolves in sixth, United in fifth, Chelsea in fourth, and Leicester in third. There's the added caveat that we don't know if fifth place is going to be good enough for the Champions League this year with City's appeal to UEFA ongoing as we speak. Fifth place might be good enough for a Champions League spot. So there's literally everything to play for here, Sam. There is, yeah. I mean, you know, through that rundown that you've just you've just produced, I mean, I guess we're all kind of taking for granted that Manchester City are going to finish second. I can't really see a scenario in which they finish below second, to be fair. So we kind of just put that one that one on the shelf along with Liverpool's ties to win. And I think Leicester are pretty entrenched in third place. There is a five-point gap between themselves and fourth with Wilfred and Didi back. Now fit again for the running. I mean, I think they'll probably see that out. I think that is insurmountable. The only time Leicester have ever looked remotely suspect is when Wilfred and Didi is injured and he's no longer injured. So that's probably that one. That gives you fourth and fifth. Chelsea and Man United are currently there at the moment, 48 and 45 points. Chelsea is an interesting one. You look at their fixtures, right? And their fixtures are not kind on paper. Like they've got Manchester City to play. They've got Leicester to play. They've got Liverpool to play. They've got Wolves. And then Sheffield United are always quite difficult. They'll play Norwich, who are fighting for their lives. It's, it's not a nice fixture, this. But Chelsea actually have turned... They've tended to drop points in the, in the games that you would expect them to romp home in this season. It's actually been the weaker sides that have, that have given them problems. And against the top sides, like Man City, like Liverpool, they've actually really turned up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically keep the top four as it is, as, as boring as that might be. But I think that's probably how it shakes out. And the one thing I'm really watching for here, rather than Wolves or Sheffield United, to be honest, is Tottenham and, uh, and Tottenham's ability to surge up the table. Because I do think they have it in them with Kane back fit, with Son back fit, with Bergvine back fit. I mean, they've been, they've been handed an incredible second opportunity here that they shouldn't have got to try and salvage their own season. And I'm not going to say they're going to do it, but like, that's the storyline that I'm watching and it is not beyond them. 
Okay. Well, there's uh, there's Santai's hot tip. I mean, look, Dean, Arsenal with 40 points in ninth. Chelsea, 48 points in fourth. And Arsenal there have a game in hand, albeit against Manchester City and not something that most people are expecting them to get anything out of. There's enough games here for, for that kind of gap to be to be chased down. Yeah, and actually, I think that if any team was going to benefit from not playing in front of their home fans, it's got to be Arsenal. Because... <laughs> South, Southampton, mate. <laughs> well, I don't know. But the Emirates has been a poisonous place for years now. And I think we've seen so many times that when things get bad, those fans turn on them. I mean, we look at, obviously, the Granite Shaka incident as the moment that really stands out when he's booed by his own fans and he's shouting his way down the tunnel and we didn't think we'd really ever see him again from then. And, and credit to him under Arteta, he'd really come back. But um, I think, you know, so that will, will help Arsenal. And I think that also Arteta obviously hadn't had too much time to really get his feet under the table and make a plan, a long-term plan for Arsenal's season. So he came into the job and was, he's very quickly made adaptations that have made them better. But um, the timeout would probably have given him an opportunity to speak with players on the side, to map out some plans of, of what he wanted to do in these in these games that are coming up. So I definitely think that Arsenal can benefit. And I'd say that in a similar sense, Wolves are really going to benefit as well from um, taking a different approach to their home matches. I think that if you look at the way that Wolves play away from home, it's a lot more successful than the way that they play at home. And I think that's because fans automatically expect you to play on the front foot and they are not as comfortable with you just absorbing pressure and then trying to hit teams on the counter but it's been you know Wolves tactics away from home have been much more effective if you look at the home table and away table in the Premier League Wolves are fifth in the away table and 11th in the home table and that and that's really surprising because Wolves are genuinely one of the better teams in the Premier League and I just wonder if they might now be tempted to take some of those tactics into their games at Molyneux. Um, they've got a nice run of fixtures, Wolves, as well. And I think that they've really, really got a chance of pushing in towards those upper upper spots. I do still think that it's it's Man United or Chelsea, fourth and fifth. I mean, I think you can really toss a coin as to how that, which way around that's going to turn out. Uh, but yeah, I think that, that Wolves and Arsenal do have something to play for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think, you know, I talked about Sheffield United at the top of the show and it was that's a a lovely idea. I really enjoy how Sheffield United have gone about their business this year. I think that they've they've enjoyed proving everybody wrong, um, and, and it you know continued to happen again and again. And, and like you say, a, a win in that kind of opening fixture would, would leapfrog them into into fifth. They'd be they'd be in the space. But I do think if anyone's going to take on Chelsea and United for those two Europe for the two Champions League spots as it stands at the moment. Uh, it's going to be Wolves because I think they're the ones with the squad and the depth and, and maybe the rotation as well to be able to to really mix it up in there. And we've seen some really nice little bits and bobs from from Nuno this year. The, introduce, the introduction of Pedro Neto, who, who's kind of really hit the ground running it in many ways. And, you know, all the ways that the Wolves work and, and the ability they have to mix it up there from the 3-4-3 back into that 3-5-2 and, and all the way that they, they, they've gone about that. I just think that they have the capacity to to really cause a little stir at the end of this season, especially with the likes of Adama and that having a rest and coming back into this at, at full pelt. We're, we're looking at a side that has the ability to trouble the big boys in a, in a big way. I think you're I think you're right. And I think I give Wolves the edge in, in any kind of European chase over Sheffield United for the reason that you reference, which is depth. It's probably not something that actually that many people associate with Wolves, but they have just you know, produced a season in which they've managed to get through a Europa League campaign alongside a very successful Premier League campaign. And they've managed it really well. And you reference Pedro Neto and I'll add Daniel Podence to the, to the mix as well, who hasn't really been able to get his feet under the table for Wolves, but will surely be an important player as they rotate. Sheffield United are basically the opposite. Like they don't have the smallest squad, but it's about who Chris Wilder, the manager, trusts. And I I predicted my final table on, on Bleach Report on on. For, as a written article this week and uh, taking a look at this squad Chris Wilder has used nine players in 23 starts or more this season like this is not a team that really has to rotate and I don't know if that's to do with the trust I don't know if that's to do with the tactical cohesion obviously they added someone like Sander Berge in January who has featured a little bit but not too much 
this is a team that is very set, very, very similar week to week. And for the first time this season, they are going to have to change their 11 to, in accordance with a congested fixture list, which they've never at any point had. I don't know how that ends up, but I do have the evidence, evidence to suggest that Wolves can handle it. And we know that a team like Arsenal has the depth to handle it. Now, I actually think Sheffield United will end up a place above Arsenal. But Wolves definitely have the edge on Sheffield United there, and Tottenham do as well. What do you think this final table looks like, Sam, from one down to seven? Uh, I've got Liverpool, Man Shock. City, <laughs> yeah, Leicester in third, Chelsea in fourth, just staving off United in fifth, Tottenham moving up to sixth, Wolves in seventh, Sheffield United in eighth, and Arsenal stay in ninth, and then uh, Everton pick up the top half in tenth. Okay, well, I mean, Dean, would, would you change anything there? Well, like I said before, I'm just going to flip Man United and Chelsea. I just think that the 11-game unbeaten run that they went on before the hiatus really has, has brought about a new confidence and belief. And I think that it's nice that um, Ole's bringing some joy back to United that have been sucked out of them under the um, under Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho. So, you know, Bruno Fernandes has obviously made such a difference and now bringing Pogba back into the equation as well. I'm just quite excited to see what they can do. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and say that they can build on it. So I'm going to say that they just pip Chelsea to fourth. And I'm going to say Wolves in sixth. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll go for the Tottenham in seventh just because they should at least be finishing seventh. Um, anything below that, in, and Jose Mourinho really needs to be looking at himself, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's talk about that, though. You just brought it up. We had so many questions about this, and the Pogba-Bruno axis at United, it, we're all kind of wondering how this is going to work. Tactically, I'm going to go to you first on this, Sam. How do you think they both fit in? Well, look, it's... I don't think that they were. I don't think Bruno was bought to play with Pogba. I think he was bought to eventually replace him. So this is probably something that they didn't really consider at the time. It's not exactly a horrible problem to have, but you've got two players that like to have a certain amount of creative freedom, uh, playing from probably the number eight role, um, the free, the freest of the three midfield slots. And if you were going to play both together, both are going to roam around, both are going to look for space, both are going to try and ask for the ball quite a lot and try to try to play killer passes and try to do that creative thing that Manchester United so often need, particularly against the weaker sides in the Premier League, where they sometimes lack, I'd say, the attacking structure to break down a defensive team. It's why they look so much better on the counter. So how they share the load, I, I really don't know. And what United need to do is probably first and foremost, pick the correct midfielder to play like uh, behind them. And I don't think they actually have the perfect midfielder for that, but I think Scott McTominay is your best bet. And I think McTominay, who I think is underrated generally by, by other fan bases, Pogba and Bruno, is actually one hell of a midfield. Like it's actually re just really good, and they've cut, they've somehow managed to arrive at a position. Compare that to November when they didn't have Bruno, when Pogba was nowhere to be seen, and McTominay was was injured. What a transformation this is, and I understand why Dean is is, is putting them in fourth because this is this is a driving force of a midfield. You just have to balance it correctly, and McTominay is going to have to do a lot of the donkey work. Let's let's be honest, uh, playing behind those two players. I wouldn't put either of them in a four-two-three-one. I think I'd put I think I'd put them in a four-three-three, both as number eights. I'd never put Pogba as the ten. I never really understand why people people ask for that. Uh, but they're not the only focus, are they? Because Rashford's coming back too. Yeah, no, but I mean, obviously, Rashford will play off the left, Marshall mm. off the right. You'd imagine it's going to be Dan James making up the third of that trident, at least to begin with. Igalo, uh, Igalo. We, we saw that. We saw that Pep had so much success with three eights. You know, in Silver and De Bruyne, and I guess yes, it's it's so important that a player like Fernandinho anchored that, and and Rodri now does to to the same kind of extent. But actually, if we if United can get that going, there's so much space for the two of them to then bomb on, create, and and with that kind of pace and uh, movement in the front three, you can imagine that that United attack becoming absolutely devastating. At the very least, you want, you want them both on the pitch against the weaker sides because they have struggled to break those teams down because they do lack that sort of coordination and that attacking pattern um, in the final third. So if you have more than one player who can create a moment of genius, you have more chance of breaking those teams down if you don't have a well-worked route to goal 
that maybe Pep Guardiola City do, where they have clear routines as to how to break deep set teams down. Solskjaer's United absolutely don't have that. So you put as many magicians on the pitch as possible. And in Bruno and Pogba, you have two of them. So play them both together and just play someone beneath them to just mop up Fernandinho style, as you say. And it is a formula that can work. It really is. And I'm, I expect it to work. I don't know if we'll see it in the first game. I must say, I, I, I do think that... <clears throat> I don't think Pogba will start in the in United's game against Tottenham. Um, from what I'm hearing, anyway, that that's not looking likely. Um, but I think it, it's a really interesting time for Paul Pogba. I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thinks that United are only three or four players short of being... Well, I don't know if he would say title contenders, but close to that. Um, and if you think that one of the areas that they're really, really looking at in the next transfer window, it's centre midfield and Jack Grealish is somebody that they are pushing quite hard to sign. Now, if Paul Pogba has a really good end to this season and brings happiness to the side and is happy in himself, I think there's a chance that Pogba does end up having a future at United. And I mean, let's be honest, like there hasn't really been a long spell of highlights for Pogba in his career so far. His, de- his best days at the club could genuinely be ahead of him yet. And I think that um, however Solskjaer decides to manage this, and I think it will be carefully in terms of when he integrates him, um, it really could be spectacular. And I think to actually to bring him in for the last half an hour against Tottenham could be really, really impactful and might be the best way to approach it. Well, let's flip to their opponents on Friday and another team with, with injuries galore that, that have come back, Dean. And you're looking at this Tottenham side now. How do you ingratiate all of these players back into the setup? Because Mourinho, for the first time perhaps in his Tottenham tenure, has almost a full slate to pick from. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, it's obviously not, not going to have Deli Ali for the first game back. He'll, he'll be suspended. But... Um... The most important thing for, for Tottenham is having Harry Kane back because there is there was nobody that, that could fill that role in the way that Kane has been playing for Mourinho. And I think that that changes a lot in terms of the game plan. So it makes them a completely different um, setup from the one the United would have faced if this game was to go ahead originally. I think this game would have actually been pretty poor if you'd have played it um, before the coronavirus break. Um, but now you're looking at a fixture which has all the star performers. And I think that on top of that, you've got Jose Mourinho trying to prove that he's a better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Mourinho is not impressed at all that Solskjaer is the man that has replaced him at Man United. And, you know, I think he's actually almost disrespected by it. He, he cannot believe that they've gone from him to somebody with barely any pedigree. So he's got to come up with a plan for this game. And he is good at one-off game plans um, that gets the better of his former employers. And listen, I don't know how, he, how he's going to set up exactly. I haven't obviously seen their, their friendly matches and how fit these players that are coming back are. But um, obviously Son is back from his, his military um, action. <laughs> he'll, probably, he'll probably be fit. Yeah, well, he's come back with honours yeah. from that, hasn't he? He's won that as well. So... <laughs> Son's going to probably be more impactful, I'd imagine, in the first couple of games than Harry Kane will be. But it's the presence of Kane that's so important. Sam, and flipping that to you, you know, you'd imagine the front three are going to be Son, Kane, Bergvine, you know, Lucas Moura might, might in, sort of flip in and out of that side. But actually, also on top of that, uh, and talking of balancing midfields when it comes to United, Mourinho has his own problems here. So Ndombele, Lo Celso, there's been so much talk about trying to fit these into the same side. And and to be fair, if you're going to play them as three eights, you need a three eights. You need a, a defensive midfielder behind them. And, and Harry Winks probably isn't that player, but he might yeah. have to be for now. Yeah, I think um, Winks is Winks is your best bet if you want to do that. It's not perfect, not by a long stretch. I don't think he covers enough ground, and um, I think yeah, he's got quite short legs. He can't, basically just can't he can't cover the ground quick enough. Like he's a lovely player. And from your holding midfielder, you know, at the base of your midfield three, you need two things. You need that ability to cover the ground and do the donkey work. But he also, if he's, if he's on his own, if he's not in a pivot, 
He has to have that soft touch and that ability to take the ball off the centre halves on the half turn and distribute it really cleanly and be really reliable on the ball, which Winks does at least have that. Yeah. He's the exact opposite of Musa Sissoko, who can cover the ground like a madman, but doesn't have that nice soft touch, which would allow him to build play through the thirds, maybe 30 or 40 times in a game. You just would never trust Sissoko to do that. So aside from some kind of splicing method, uh, which is obviously not possible biologically, and Mrs. Sissoko's injured anyway, I can't see a solution there unless it's Jetson Fernandez, who again, I don't think is that player. He's much more explosive box to box. They've tried him at wing back. So Tottenham's midfield is a massive question mark ahead of this game. And I genuinely don't know what the answer is because I bet you that Mourinho doesn't either. But if it's Winks and Ndombele and Lo Celso, I think it's suspect. I don't think Ndombele will start. Uh, we've seen he's had some fitness issues over the course of the season and we're about to enter a pretty manic period of games. It's going to be tough for him particularly. It's going to be tough for everybody, but Dombele's fitness is going to be a huge question mark through this period. Mourinho doesn't seem to like him anyway. So I'd be surprised if he starts the first game and I'd be surprised if he plays many 90 minutes because of the issues that he's had. So that just makes it even harder with Deli Ali out. And I really, what I'm trying to tell you is, who knows like, yeah. what, like, how, like how, this, how this pans out. If it's Winks and La Celso in the middle in like a 3-4-3, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, well, I mean, Eric Dyer can, can play defensive midfield still. I think that's something that's potentially got, got ability to happen now, given the situation we're in and given the kind of uncertain things surrounding Tottenham and, and the Premier League in general. I wouldn't be surprised to see Dyer. Uh, at CDM, at least for a little bit of this season, just to see how that plays out, especially if he's got two attacking eights in front of him in the yeah. kind of, even that if that's Jedson, if that's Ali, if that's the Celso, if that's Ndombele, you're looking at, you know, technical players who want to get forward. You maybe need someone like Eric Dyer to just anchor things. And I suppose that's what United have in, in Nemanja Matic as well, if things really do get a little bit tough. It's just, you know, stick him in there and, and solidify things and, and make it happen in, in that regard. And, yeah. Talking of players and, and who's going to play and who's not going to play, one thing that a lot of people are very excited for is the return of Fantasy Premier League. And so we thought it would be unfair on you if we didn't get you some tips, some hints, uh, and some expert advice on how to make sure that your Fantasy League season doesn't go as badly as our man Dean Jones's. <laughs> uh, and so we brought in Sam and Lee from FPL Family, uh, who are Big, big time in the FPL scene uh, to give us some tips. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where we are delighted to be joined by some experts in the game, the FPL family, Lee and Sam. Lee, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. It's a, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having us. It's really good to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're very excited about the return of the Premier League and by default, you know, the Fantasy Premier League as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah, we've, actually, we've had to actually make polite conversation for the last three months about other topics, haven't we? But now we can go back to just talking about football <laughs> 24-7. So yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're excited for to be back. Absolutely. And, and Dean, you are a, a former fantasy champion in, in some ways. How, how excited are you for this? Hang on, don't, you can't give him that billing. He won his own Friends League. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to win my Friends League. They're pretty good at it. But I'm, as, I, as you know, as you know, I've had an absolute mare this season. It, it's just gone so badly for me. Every decision I've made has, has just backfired. I'm third from bot in my... Ooh, ouch. In my ouch. There's, 14, there's 14 teams in there as well. Um, and it's, it's not good. Um, I need to save myself. So the first double game week, I'm looking for at least 100 points. Uh, and honestly, Shoot for the stars, Dean. Shoot for the stars. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, our, our problem is with our with our league, the bottom four teams have to pay for a curry for everybody else. So we all go out, all, th all 13, 14 of us go out for a night out and the, the bottom four pay for it. Uh, and the top three obviously win money. So normally I'm the one picking up like £150, £200, whatever the prize money is. <laughs> This just suddenly realised why we've been invited onto the pod. <laughs> <laughs> well, saving his wallet. Yeah, you're saving me about 100 quid here if you can get me out. Of the <laughs> Are you allowed out for curries nowadays? No one is, mate. We're all on lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You don't worry about it. Just pretend it never happened. Lee, you've, you've, you've ruined my segue. That was going to be... Uh, I'm sorry, oh, well, uh, <laughs> well, we really need to help Dean out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, with the, you know, we call this BR Football Ranks for a reason. We're going we're gonna to ask you to give us some, some tips about what to, how to play this period it's quite a weird period with game weeks kind of overlapping on each other yeah, and, yeah. and all the, and all the kind of admin things that come with it i was gonna you know ask you for for three kind of tips to to save your fantasy league season. so we'll throw it to you and, 
and kind of work through. Yeah, go for it. All right. So you've got one. You've got a good one to kick us off, haven't you? Um, yeah. So I think for me, when you and for Dean, especially as it to get out of trouble, I think starting um, with a bit of a plan for how you're going to play your chips, because there's a number of players out there that will have um, none of their chips left, all of their chips left or a combination of some of them. I think there's there's a ridiculous number of um, different ways that you could have your chip strategy left. So working out roughly how you're going to play it and when you're going to play those chips. So bench boost, when that's going to go, if you've still got your second wild card, how you're going to use that. Having a bit of a plan and then trying, if possible, to stick with it because these deadlines are so close. We like, For example, next week we finish the game on Monday evening and then there's a deadline on Tuesday. So having the opportunity to play particularly wild cards and having enough time to play them properly means you really do need to kind of have a strategy in place and live by it wherever you can. And don't forget that FPL have actually given us almost like an additional chip almost in terms yeah. of the unlimited transfers. So Dean, if your team's in bad shape, don't worry about it. You've got unlimited transfers so you can go crazy and win that mini league. Well, I'll give you a clue. Last night I was here and just got rid of my entire team and have put a whole new <laughs> team. Um, and the only chip I've got left is bench boost and that's going straight first week, I think. Well, that makes sense because you ideally want to play that in a double game week if you can and this is likely yeah. to be the only one. Exactly. Yeah, it's likely that this will be it. Yeah, I don't know what's going to come up. So basically, my my bench as it stands right now is just three Sheffield United players. All all of the three most high scoring Sheffield United players are all on the bench um, for their games against Villa and Newcastle. Um, You've got to make the most of that, haven't you? Yeah, they've definitely got to come in. They've got a double game week Sheffield United, so you've got to play them. Who? Which three have you got then? Uh, I've got Fleck, uh, Lundstrom, and the King Balbuford. Great to hear you got Lundstrom. There's actually quite a lot of um, chat in the FPL community about whether Lundstrom's going to kind of get his place back from Sander Burge because he was he was like the guy to have. He's almost like a cheat code in FPL at the beginning of the season because he was classed as a defender. But of course, as we know, watching the football, he's getting forward and like breaking into the box like a number 10. So everyone had him in their teams. And then Burge came along and everybody kind of got rid of him. I wonder now with the substitute, you know, all the Premier teams have got like five substitutions they can make now in, in any given game. I wonder whether we might see a bit of like Lundstrom coming on for 20, 30 mm. minutes against a tired Aston Villa defence. I, 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 I actually back him to get a few points in that first game. Is, is there something about this five substitutions that I'm, I guess it's, it's good and bad? It means you're more likely to have a player playing, but equally you're more likely to have half-time substitutions. Those kind of one-point slow ones where, where they're pulling people at half-time to completely change the game week. Is, is that something worth kind of bearing in mind again? Yeah, it absolutely is. And that comes to my second tip, actually. One of my key ones for the rest of the season is that actually with this five subs rule, my view is that if you can, you want to try and focus for the last nine weeks on players that have got good fitness levels, players that have got good injury records in terms of, you know, they don't get injured a lot. Um, I, I do foresee, particularly at clubs like Manchester City, where the, the, you know, the pep roulette, as we call it in FPL, the rotation factor of picking a Man City player in the FPL team, very difficult thing to try and navigate. And of course, it's going to be even worse now that Pep's got five mm-hmm. substitutions that he can make. So a lot of FPL managers are going to be going into this double game week with Man City on their mind, mm. but actually... Um, listen, you could get Aguero for 20 minutes over two games if you're really unlucky. But yeah, my, my tip is, if you can, stick with those players that have got good injury records between now and the end of the season. So for example, you might not want to look quite so much at the wing-backs because that is a high-energy role. They're going to be up and down those lines, expending a lot of, a lot of energy and potentially being pulled off on, on maybe the 59th or before minute, which means, of course... They miss out on the clean sheet from an FPL perspective. So maybe have a look at the centre-halves as well. If you're looking at Liverpool, go Van Dijk rather than Robertson or Trent. That's the sort of... You've got Trent. Yeah, you do have to have Trent because of the free (laughs) kick factor. I get that, right? But maybe maybe couple him up with Van Dijk rather than Robbo is is the tip. I also think that um, having a strong bench in FPL, going on from that five substitution thing is really important. Three Sheffield United, right? (laughs) Yeah, and normally we would kind of go, well, you can burn that third bench spot because you'll never get to your third sub. But actually the way it is now with these tight game weeks very close together lots of substitutions there's a possibility you're going to need your benches so having some decent players to come in important. Sam I was going to throw that almost to you because we've talked a lot about the importance of you you know and the fact that we're going to see especially behind closed doors potentially managers putting a little bit more faith in, in younger players who don't have yeah. to necessarily go into the, the the way that it works and the atmosphere and, and the kind of cauldrons that we've seen across across Europe before is that you know something you're expecting to see more of? Yeah I think so I think the the lack of home advantage that we've seen out in the um, 
and the lack of kind of like you say these cauldrons of noise that you get in certainly the big stadiums across across them the premier league might just mean that it takes some of the pressure off of the youngsters who are coming through and, and therefore they get an opportunity which might make them even better for us as fpl assets because one they're really cheap or to put on your bench knowing that they're probably going to get game time and so if for any reason you do have an issue with one of your bigger players who doesn't play they'll come on and perhaps potentially yeah they're more likely to to do well and to kind of overachieve on what you would anticipate them doing because they don't have that fear of, of where they're going might or... see quite a lot of phil foden i think mm. in the premier league i think given that this is david silver's uh kind of last few games isn't it's it in, in a man city shirt we say Obviously, this every Pep's time so we, we say this all the time mate. we say this all the time <laughs> and it never comes through <laughs> this might be his opportunity i think sam ty there was you tweeted yesterday well, retweeted yesterday about keenan davis at aston oh, yeah, villa yeah. is keenan davis going to be the breakthrough star of villa i mean look it kind of directly goes against our guests logic here because that man is as <laughs> injury prone as it gets <laughs> i mean he's actually a really interesting player and with villa having obviously don't have wesley on his acl samata is going to have to carry the load and eventually yeah. i mean samata can't play all the games like it's ridiculous so eventually they're going to have to look to somebody else or her bastons on the bench you probably don't look at him you probably look at davis he's an absolute powerhouse he's an incredible hold-up player he just can't really shoot so <laughs> for FP fpl no. maybe not the strongest shout for general game mechanics he could be quite useful but it's it's injuries have always got him at the wrong time if there was a little if there was a player that i would try and pick out for someone like for this sort of scenario where like they're quite well, very versatile in this scenario it wouldn't be a breakout because we've seen a bit of him this season but he can play like four different positions he's young steven alzate at brighton probably have to feature in several different roles for brighton over the over the running just because they have to use it play all the positions actually quite good as well i don't know what it will translate to but take that third bench spot that you've been talking about and how you no longer burn it you actually have to get something from it he might be that because i doubt he's very expensive and he might yeah, be able to chance. fill that might be able to fill that third spot who actually has to give you two points at some point if you need them. yeah brighton have got some tricky fixtures coming up in the premier league i think they've got arsenal leicester man united as their sort of first three coming back but as baptism you say, there's a baptism of fire if he does come in. Um, but they've got something to fight for, right? They need the points. So, uh, yeah, it could be a good chance. Uh, and that probably rolls us on nicely to, to the third one. So Yeah, and I think with the third one... It at this time of the season, it's all—it's kind of always an FPL rule in that you, you need to look really carefully about the teams that are actually motivated for the, the yeah. final run of the season. Because, you know, at this stage, there's a lot of mid-table teams, the likes of maybe Burnley and Everton, Crystal Palace, who can't make the Europa League or the Champions League spots aren't going to get dragged into a relegation battle. So what is their motivation for kind of playing these last eight weeks, particularly in our current climate where there's going to be no fans there to kind of jolly them along and, and pull them <laughs> through till the end of the season? They're, they could easily just slip into just coasting through till the end of the season. Now, for us as FPL managers, that is not what we want players that are out there with something to fight for, that are going to be really pushing for the goals, clean sheets, whatever it is. Do you not, do you not think that they'll be looking for momentum going into the next season? Then? Potentially, because we don't yet know exactly when 2021 is going to start, um, yeah. and it, but it's likely to be a much shorter close season than we would normally see. So if we've got a shorter close season, they do need to kind of use this almost as pre-season, I suppose, for the next season. Um, so there is that element to it. But I, I just think that those mid-table teams are a bit more risk into the picks. There's a couple in there that I think could be good, like Newcastle have a lovely run of fixtures. Um, with this all this gossip about takeovers and stuff like that, that they could have some motivation to fight. So they're a club I'm really watching from that mid-table bracket. But otherwise, I'm mostly going bottom eight, top nine, and picking from there. Yeah, I think Everton, that's a really Everton, fair point. And love. with Everton, like Everton need to put some, some things in place under Carlo Ancelotti ahead of next season. So Everton, for me, might be one that actually still need to pull their finger out. But Burnley and Palace could not be more irrelevant for the run-in. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Like 39 points, safe, no problem, nothing to play for, no home crowds. Honestly, they could just forfeit the rest of their fixtures and they could survive. So yeah. what's the point? Yeah. What's the point for those two? But Everton, I think, might be slightly different. They are trying to get something going under Carlo. They do have a habit, though, of just falling off in the last five fixtures. I remember watching Fulham beat Everton 3-0, already relegated Fulham, you know, with Everton sort of eighth last season and kind of a bit. And I was like, what was going on here? <laughs> like, this is this is chaos. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it feels like one of those, those middle teams are the ones. And we've seen it a little bit in, in La Liga. I think, Sam, and we were talking about Betis last night and, and they just don't seem to have got going. They're too far off Europa League spots to be to making a challenge. They're probably safe enough from relegation. 
And it just feels like it just hasn't got going for them straight away. So I think there's definitely something you're saying. Um, without, and just to kind of close this off, and without asking you to give away all of your, your secrets in, <laughs> in one go, have we got any dark horses, any players that people need to be keeping an eye on in, in this period that you, you think might have some real damage to uh, Well, I've, got, I've kind of got one sort of eye on Norwich, actually. And, I, and that's a weird thing to say because, look, they look, <laughs> they look dead and buried, don't they? And going into the break... A few months back, uh, they had no form, um, couldn't get a win together. But I'm looking at their fixtures. The first couple that they've got coming back are Southampton at home, Everton at home. So there's two teams, and appreciate what you just said about Everton there. Um, but there's a couple of teams there that maybe we'd question their motivation, going back to the conversation we just had. So if Daniel Farker can kind of get that mentality right at Carrow Road and go, right, okay, back-to-back wins, as, as bit, that would, and that would be a big deal for Norwich because not sure whether they've even had that this season. But back-to-back wins... Against those two, six points, suddenly it's on, isn't it, mm. potentially? So from an FPL perspective, um, we, we obviously love Timo Puki at the beginning of the season. He, he hit the ground running with a goal at Anfield on the opening day and then went on to do great things. Kind of dropped off a little bit in the subsequent weeks, but we loved him for a while in FPL. Todd Cantwell is about 4.7 million in FPL. So he's like a super cheap enabler in the midfield who could do really mm. well. Um, and then, of course, Max Arons as well at the back. Likes and assists, likes to get forward, bombs down that wing. Necessarily say he's going to get too many clean sheets based on what I've seen at Norwich over the course of the season. But there are a few picks in that Norwich side who could be dark horse. Wendia as well. Wendia is like, sort of like, like, yeah, like nice second, second, third or fourth for like the key passes metric all the time. And I've got him in my in, in my draft team just as one of my like the fourth midfielder. Surprisingly good, like very productive. I think yeah. he has I think he has seven or eight assists this yeah, season. He's in, which he's is, in the top assist chart. Yeah, like it's not not a bad shout for Buendia. I mean, I think it'll be a bit more than Cantwell, maybe. Just to, um, to take it sideways a little bit and up the table, just just a question on Liverpool and their forwards. Um, obviously, you always need Salah or, or Mane. Um, is that still going to be the case? Because obviously, once title is won, I'm struggling to see why what their motivation will be and whether they're worth having for that kind of money. And uh, obviously, Klopp's going to certainly start bringing in more youngsters as the season gets towards its end. I'm just wondering who the who the Liverpool players are going to be that you have to have for the run-in. I think Trent is an absolute must-have for me anyway. Because, That's good news. Yeah, <laughs> he's absolutely essential. Um, in terms of Mane and Salah, I still do think that one of them is essential for at least the next two to three game weeks because Liverpool haven't won the title yet. They do need to get it done. It's, it's got to that point where I think that they need to pick up these last six points that they need to secure the, the league. And therefore, as such, I would expect that the likes of Mane and Salah Mino will play every game until that's the case. And if they do, they will score fantasy points and it will absolutely kill your rank if you don't have them in your team. Now, at the end of those three games, there may be some rotation among, you know, we spoke earlier about, the you know, the academy players or, or the younger members of the squad coming in. But I don't think... Klopp is of that mentality that he just destroys his team and just plays, you know, a second string team. I, I think they'll just be rotation. So they might get reduced minutes, but I still think they'll play. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think Klopp is the sort of manager that will go full steam until mm. the end of the season. I think you're right. I don't think we'll see, you know, the whole 11 coming out and maybe like an FA Cup 11 going in, as we've seen with Liverpool this season. Um, but the likes of Minamino will get minutes because I think Klopp is looking to, I mean, it's a sign in that Klopp wants to be successful. I expect Naby Keita to get more minutes. I think Divock will get more minutes. Um, I think a few of the youngsters will get brought through. So Curtis Jones might get brought through. We've got some promising fullbacks as well that might get some game time. Um, but yeah, I don't see wholesale changes though, Dean. So I think from that perspective, it is worth keeping probably Mane and or Salah in the FPL team for a bit. Is that a bit scarier though? If they're not going to be rotated, if they might get reduced minutes, like 55 minutes, that's worse than <laughs> yeah. just missing out, isn't it? It's not if they score twice in the 55 minutes. <laughs> yeah. no, that's true. <laughs> I think for some clubs, it would be worse because you would think, oh, if they only play 55 minutes, they're not going to get any points. But actually when the likes of talking about Mane and Salah, they can get a hat trick in 50 minutes. So yeah. what will be interesting is if they don't start, yeah. And then all the FPL community goes, oh, Salah's on the bench or whatever. And then he comes on for half an hour and blitzes like a tired Aston Villa defence mm. or something. Right? That, that's that absolutely scenario that could happen as well. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, guys. Uh, maybe probably a, a good shout to, a good time to, to shout to the, the rank squad about how to follow you and, and how to listen to your own stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a YouTube channel. If you search for FPL Family on YouTube, we'll find us over there. We do a live stream every Sunday uh, where we talk about the action that's happened over the weekend. And we'll have some videos throughout the week as well on some other uh, hot topics for that week and um, we're on twitter and instagram as well at fpl family and um, so you can find us on there as well thank you very much uh, thanks for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure and i'm sure that dean is already scribbling notes to try <laughs> and get himself out of the mire <laughs> good luck dean <laughs> thanks for having us guys. thank you so much to sam and lee for their insight on the fpl dean you feeling more confident now 
No, no, I'm, I'm big trouble, mate. I'm, I'm going to carry on uh, messing with my team right up until the deadline. And then I'm just going to cross my fingers, pray everything I possibly can, really. You know, you know, it's bad when even I'm beating you. Their advice was good. I just probably won't take any of it. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can advise you, Rank Squad, that you should listen to their advice and and don't do what Dean does. Uh, And we are now going to be talking about the other end of the table, the relegation scrap. And so I will do a little bit of legwork for you. 20th place, Norwich City, 21 points. Aston Villa in 19th on 25. Bournemouth on 27 in 18th. Watford on 27 in 17th. West Ham on 27 in 16th and Brighton on 29 in 15th, which leaves Southampton on 34, five-point gap. I think, Sam, Southampton are probably safe. Yeah, that'd be fine. Uh, Southampton 34, Newcastle 35, Everton 37 and Palace Burnley 39. I don't think anybody is going to be too worried about them. Southampton in particular probably benefit from this uh, behind closed doors atmosphere because they are awful at home. The St. Mary's crowd is really tetchy. They've got the worst home form in the league. Only 14 points with 15 games away from home. They're brilliant. So uh, behind closed doors, I've got them winning every single game and uh, pipping Liverpool to the title. But yeah, from down below, it's Brighton in 15th down and everybody is in that scrap. This is the most. Imp- this is this is the best bit, in my opinion. Like it's better than the race for the top four. It's better than the race for the Europa League. Some of you won't agree with me. That's fair enough. But this is where it really goes down. Norwich are bottom. I think they'll probably stay bottom. Uh, The gap of six points to 17th is pretty harsh on them. And they haven't shown enough for me this season, really, to to, to give me any idea of the any any kind of hope or, or faith that they'll be able to overcome that. What I would say for Norwich is that they seem to have been very, very injured all season long, like overly injured. And I would imagine they've got quite a, quite a decent squad to pick from. So that might be a change for them. They might, for the first time this season, be able to field like a centre-half pairing that they actually want to field. But I've got them in 20th anyway. Uh, and filling out the other relegation spots, Watford in 19th. So they're currently outside the relegation zone, but I'm not that confident for them. And, you know, a lot of teams, the common theme is they're welcoming injured players back. So it's the same for Norwich. It's the same for Villa. It's the same for so many teams. But Watford are the only team that come back actually at a disadvantage, I think, because De La Feu tore his ACL just before the coronavirus pause. And he's their best player. And he's obviously not returned from an ACL injury in two months or three months. He's still out. So everybody else has got players back and Watford are going to come back in without their best player. Well, there's also, there's... on top of that, the, the kind of mire surrounding whether Troy Deeney is going to play or not. Yeah, yeah, there's got a lot. And they've just been through like a weird transfer thing with a, with, a, with a player that they were supposed to sign and is now kind of suing them or something like that. It's all, it's all very strange around Watford. The first three games, Leicester, Burnley, Southampton, they are not nice. And their final two are City and Arsenal. That's not good at all. And I think it's actually stacked against Watford. So I put them in 19th. And then in 18th, I put Aston Villa. Um, they've got a couple of things to be positive about and optimistic about and the return of, of John McGinn is huge like he's a huge part of their team in their midfield and McGinn and Grealish is two number eights as we've been talking about all episode is very very strong I don't think anyone else in the relegation zone can offer that but Villa can't defend and they've got the worst record in the league they've considered the most goals and they've also considered the most goals from set pieces that's 14 it's just ridiculous Um, every other game they concede from a set piece and unless they show me that that changes I cannot say that they will survive because that is the most Achilles of heel, let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Dean, your bottom three? Yeah, I think that um, Norwich will start well. I mean, I, they've got a chance to anyway, because they've got two home games against Southampton and Everton. And if they're going to stand any chance of doing anything, then they need to pick up points in those two matches. You'd, you'd be hoping for four if you were them, really, um, at least. So I think they'll start well. They've, they've done pretty well in their, their friendly matches leading into the season. Uh, but I, I still think they'll have too much ground to make up. So I think Norwich will go down. Bournemouth, I've got to say, I'm, I'm not holding much optimism for Bournemouth at all. I mean, they lost seven of their last ten. Um, and however much time you take to um, analyse what's gone wrong, it doesn't particularly help sometimes. Sometimes you can overthink things. And I think the fact that uh, Callum Wilson and Josh King just haven't had the same impact on them this season that they would have liked when they have been out there together um, is 
concerning. And I think that on top of that, they've got to play four of the top six and don't actually face any of the teams that are around them. Yeah. So I think Bournemouth are in big trouble and I, I do think that they'll go down. And then for me, it comes down to either either Watford or Aston Villa to go down. Um, and I think I'm actually going to give um, give it to Watford to stay up and, and Villa to go down. And I'm just actually going to go against something that Sam says there. He says that having City and Arsenal as your last two games is, isn't ideal. And I understand what you're coming from, but actually might be fine because City are going to be fully focused on the Champions League matches that, that are coming up. Um, they won't be playing their strongest teams at that point and they'll probably be blooding some kids. So that could work to their advantage. And Arsenal, the chances are their season will be done. They'll be done and dusted by then and they'll probably just be settling for, for eighth or something. So it might actually work out. And I think, listen, these two teams are very similar. I'm not saying either of them deserve to stay up more, more than the other. I just get the hunch that Villa just seems to let themselves down and I don't have much uh, faith in them delivering results when it really matters. Um, in Jack Grealish and John McGinn, they've got two players that will decide what their fate, basically. that Those two, the performances and the one-off moments from those two gives them a chance to stay up. But look, toss a coin, I'm going to say Watford do it. Yeah, I mean, I've... I think if, if you had asked me before you'd I'd listened to both your arguments, who was going to stay up, I would not have said Aston Villa. But given what you said, I actually think that they're, they're one of the clubs with, with the ability and, and the destiny kind of in their own hands. I don't think Bournemouth have, have that about them this year. Ryan Fraser as well, you didn't mention their Dean, has you know, still been their most involved player in terms of creating chances, but hasn't had anywhere near the impact he had last year. It just hasn't gone right for Bournemouth, almost from the get-go this year. And and something we haven't mentioned is Brighton in 15th. And, and look, they feel a little bit safer than the rest of them just because of their league position, I think, at the moment. But Brighton have only won six games this year. You know, the only team that have won less is Norwich. And I just haven't seen much from Brighton that inspires me to watch confidence. The, you know, the one thing they have is a couple of players like Grealish, like McGinn, who can take games into their own hands and can make things happen for Brighton. You look at Neil Morpé, you look at Aaron Connolly, who had quite a, you know instant impact at the start of the season. And there are players there who can make things happen and can make moments happen for Brighton that might just keep them up. But I am worried about them because they haven't done very much they haven't won in 2020, mate. They haven't won a game in this calendar year. West Ham, I think, will have enough. I think West Ham will have enough to stay up. And they have the most of the magic makers, I think, in terms of yeah. arguably too many. You know, you can't actually fit eight number 10s in one side. Um, but, <laughs> but I think they will have the players to, to kind of make this sing, especially going into the final stretch. And they, I think West Ham will pull themselves out of this mire quite quickly. I think it'll be the other five that are left. But I actually, given what you said, and I agree with you, Sam, I don't think Watford have much given Delafeo's out and given the Troy Deeney thing, who, who is very much the heartbeat of that side. If Troy Deeney isn't back, I don't hold much hope for Watford. I don't hold much hope for Bournemouth. And I actually think Norwich will win a few games, but I think they're a little bit far off, which at the moment is leaving me Villa staying up, which was something I didn't expect to be saying. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's just because there's three teams in there that you could genuinely, as Dean keeps saying, like just just flip a coin over it. I mean, Dean mentioned Bournemouth's fixtures, which are like absolutely awful. They are so, so bad. You could barely draw it up uh, worse. And also there's the stuff about Ryan Fraser's contract and how, you know, he might be coming... Like, no, David Brooks might be coming back from injury finally, which could be, a, could be a positive for them. But Ryan Fraser suggesting that he won't extend his contract beyond the end of June to cover the coronavirus period because he's going to be a free agent and he doesn't want to be injured. So they might head into July without Ryan Fraser, yeah. which is horrible. It's a horrible situation to be in. So there's all sorts in the air here. And this is like the whole conversation we've just had and all of the elements that we've thrown into the frying pan. Like this is why this part of the season is the best part of the season. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just, there's so much excitement at the bottom of the table. And, and Sam, I actually agree with what you said at the top. Yes, the race for the Champions League and the Europa League is unbelievably exciting. But this is where the real drama is for me. And, you know, it always gets to the end of the year and there's sometimes title races. But Survival Sunday, I think, is still my favourite day of the year when, when there's things going into it that aren't already preset. And as long as you're not part of it, which uh, unfortunately Fulham have been far too many times for my liking in, yeah. in the years I've supported them. As long as you're not part of it, it's a really enjoyable day of football. 
yeah yeah it is yeah it's pretty cool uh, on survival sunday by the way just in case it isn't settled by them west ham host aston villa i mean there's, there's there's so much to happen here there's so much to happen i mean and that leads us on quite nicely to my next topic was going to be picking games that people need to watch um and so dj i'm going to start with you here but i imagine you might be going back towards the top of the table um yeah i've got to say that um actually in the opening week there aren't actually that many good games are there i mean so between now and us recording our next podcast which is the batch of fixtures i've really been been looking at there isn't a whole lot to get excited about i mean man united and, and tottenham meeting is is the is the best game but um i would say that if you're looking for something a bit different then i would say that the watford leicester game is really intriguing um the reason we've just spoken about there watford and, and try to prove that they can stay up but I think watching Leicester over the next uh, few weeks is, is going to be quite a treat. I think that they have been so good this season and, and Brendan Rodgers particularly has been so clever. And I think that despite the fact he's actually had coronavirus himself, he has um, taken time time during the break to come up with little subtle changes and even more smart little plays that, that are going to work for them in these last weeks. And I think we should also remember the fact that Leicester have such youth in their midfield and that's going to count for so much. The age of your squad, we've talked about it on, on past podcasts about other leagues restarting, but Madison, Harvey Barnes and Didi, T. Elements, like there's so much youth there that the, the real toughness of playing so many games in a short space of time probably won't be as gruelling for Leicester City in the centre of the park as it will be for other teams. They considered the third fewest goals, um, scored the third most goals. They've got a really good... Um, goal difference which I think will make sure that they stay above uh, Man United and Chelsea even if they start to catch them but Leicester are a really good team to watch and I I think that yeah if you're looking for a game uh, off radar a little bit to watch then make sure uh, you see them in action. Absolutely. Sam? Yeah so Dean you know started his answer by by taking a dump on Spurs United on Friday which I don't really agree with. I mean I'm no, I said that. I I'm to no, you were like, well, you know, outside of Spurs United, which yeah, I guess it's all right. This is this is this is one that I'm. I'm... No, I said <laughs> I was saying like that's the game you have to watch. We've already spoken about it in detail. But this this is this is one of my two picks. This is the one for this. I don't know if it's just because it comes so soon, or because there's so much uncertainty around it, or like who will play, or what United will look like with maybe Pogba, with Bruno, with Rashford, Spurs welcoming them back as well. So many unknowns. I'm really excited for that one. But the one I picked out was uh, was Wolves against Arsenal on the 4th of July. Uh, now, you may be predisposed doing other things on the 4th of July. I don't know. But if you do have a 90-minute window in the middle of the day, then watch Wolves versus Arsenal. This is the sort of clash of two styles that I often look for in, in a game of football. It will be Arteta's kind of like mini Pep Guardiola, Man City light style against Wolves' very well-entrenched, well-drilled style. And we've seen how many problems Wolves have caused Man City over the last couple of years. So it figures that the same problems may apply to Arsenal. So watch out for how Arteta tackles this one. This is in a window in which both of these teams could well be in the race for European football and it could play a massive role in deciding who finishes sixth or seventh or eighth it could be quite seismic in that regard i think it'll also just be a very very good watch perfect well good shout there sam i mean for those of you who are watching man city versus arsenal on wednesday night uh, a quick shout and if you're listening to this on wednesday that sam and i are going to be back on commentary duty on hot mic um, so if you fancy having us on your soundbite instead of the commentators of the Premier League, then please download the Hot Mic app, use the code RANKS, and uh, we will be on there giving our best, answering questions, chatting a little bit more about the game and the league in general. We've been having quite a lot of fun there, building a little bit of a community, and yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a laugh. Uh, the two games I'm going to pick, though, are a little bit later on, uh, and in fact, they're both on the 15th of July currently, although I imagine they will probably be changed given that things might uh, the schedule hasn't been released. Um, and one of them includes a team that Dean has just highlighted, but Leicester plays Sheffield United uh, on the 15th of July, which I think has the potential to be an absolute crackerjack. Um, it, it's, there's so much going on here. Like Sam says, a clash of styles, Brendan Rodgers versus Chris Wilder, but also two teams who have just been very good to watch this season. And I think that in all the kind of chat about Sheffield United and how united they are as a team and how they all well drilled and all of these things, we forget that they're actually extremely fun to watch as well. They play with high wing backs. They play with a really fast front two who try to cause problems in behind and a midfield that sort of half bomb on, half do the dirty work and everybody has their role. And it's actually very, very exciting. 
add that to Leicester's mix and what Dean was saying about Brendan Rodgers there, I think you have the potential for a world-class clash, really. Um, and straight after that, West Ham play Watford. Now, this is a, is a relegation six-pointer in, in the truest sense of the word. And if West Ham... I think this could be the game that West Ham go, right, we're out of this now. This is the, the one where West Ham would be like, we're, we're done. If they beat Watford here and pull themselves out of that mire, that would be them done. But I also think that if Watford need points from this game, this could be the difference between staying up and going down. So it's a, an intriguing clash. Mm. It's one of those things. It's going to be at the London Stadium, but the London Stadium without fans is, is going to be an intriguing prospect on its own because of the way that things are set up and the way that they haven't really massively enjoyed West Ham being part of, of that stadium and it hasn't really ever felt like home. So it's going to be in, intriguing to see how that works out and, and obviously then add the relegation drama into it. And, and that's one that I've very much got my eye on. Mm. Let's chuck things onwards one more time. Players to watch, guys. Uh, we picked these out in the Liga last week. We talked about Martin Odegaard. We talked about Nabil Fekir. We talked about Angel Herrera. Sam, who have you got player to watch? Yeah, so my players to watch from La Liga probably got suspended uh, in the first game back and missed Monday's clash against Real Betis. So I'll try to pick... Uh, with more care this time. But we've already mentioned him as a, a potential key player for Aston Villa in the run-in. It, it's John McGinn. He's been out since December with a fractured ankle sustained against Southampton. He's ridiculously important to this team in terms of balancing the midfield, doing doing some dirty work, but also driving them forward and taking the attacking onus off Jack Grealish, who is essentially a one-man team in attack. And uh, if Grealish is to make it through this gauntlet of fixtures alive and fit and healthy and without his calves battered and bruised and without several strains to his hamstrings, he's going to need some help. He's going to need, he's going to need his old pal, John McGinn, back. And McGinn is fit again now after that ankle injury. I mean, he might be at a slight sharpness disadvantage, but then again, I guess everybody is. So might be coming in on a slightly even keel there. But McGinn's a wonderful player, very, a very tenacious, a rumbustious presence and scores the odd screamer and has shown a, a penchant for a very important goal at a large stadium this season because he's already scored at the Emirates and Tottenham's new stadium as well. So he's my pick because he'll have a big say in, whether, in how the relegation scrap goes. He's also just a delight to watch. Um, he's always, always plays with a smile on his face. And he's got a big bum and he, sh- and he swings it around and he's a very weird player, but he's very effective. Okay. DJ, who you got? <laughs> um... So I was thinking about the fact that we obviously have five subs that come into play now. And I think Frank Lampard seems to like tinkering with his side as much as anyone. And he's also likes blooding youngsters. So I think looking at Chelsea and some of the new youngsters that we might see is, is, is a path to go down. It's something that could be quite exciting. Um, Billy Gilmore obviously made his impact just before the break. Um, a lad I'm going to pick is Tino Anjurin. Now he, he has been seen um <laughs> in short spurts uh, so far but not really like he hasn't had a, he hasn't had a proper run out yet and um i think that this is going to be an opportunity for tino Andurin to really get his his opportunity in the first team and before the end of the season especially to make his argument of why he should be in this first team next season and not one of these players that becomes loaned out like all the others do and i don't think from what i hear at chelsea that that is going to happen because they consider Tino Andurin to actually be the best of the crop. They think that he could potentially be better than Gilmore, be better than Mount, be better than any of the others that have come in and, and made their impacts on this team. He's a midfielder who really looks to make things happen on the ball. He um, has great control, dribbling. His through balls are going to cause big problems for anybody. Um, he also makes good decisions in and around the box as well. Um, seems to have a lot of confidence. So I think Tino Andurin. The next big thing to come out of the academy, anybody that follows Chelsea closely will already know of him. But um, for a wider audience, um, I think you're going to be quite excited. If he starts to get 20-minute bursts of, of action, then uh, you should see something special. He's got, to, uh, he's got to stake his claim for a place, given that Chelsea are hell-bent on signing every attacking midfielder and or winger available on the market this summer. You know, with Ziyech coming in, with Timo Werner able to play off the left, and with this week's links to Said Benrahma, 
you know, and Kai Havertz. And Kai Havertz, and they've already got Hudson Adoy and Mason Mount, and Christian Pudisic, and Pedro and Willian, and all these players. Like it's it's carnage in there, and this is his this is his opportunity to prove he belongs. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, also, I think it's worth uh, talking of Chelsea, talking about the fact that Ruben Loftus Cheek probably isn't too far off fitness, yeah. and yeah. Ruben Loftus Cheek is a player that is so enjoyable to watch and adds potentially a skill set that, that no one else really has in that Chelsea team. You know, he, he is that kind of player that can drive from deep. He can make things happen. He can score goals. And his kind of absence this year, I think has been slightly more keenly felt than, than before because of the transfer ban and because of the way that Chelsea have set up. I actually think he would have been a massive part of Frank Lampard's side if he'd been fit for the entire season. And he keeps getting injured, which is the worry. And, you know, you look for, and we spoke obviously earlier to Sam and Lee about players who don't have recurrent fish fitness issues and and though those are the players to kind of worry about a little bit more but if Ruben Loftus-Cheek can get some minutes under his belt get you know back to first team shape and things I think he could be an absolutely crucial player for Chelsea I'm gonna go for someone in the relegation scrap as well though and someone who has a big onus on his shoulders if Norwich are going to pull off the impossible and that's Emi Buendia mm. um he is a gorgeous footballer. And I say that in the, in the truest Jack very sense of the word. He is an absolute dancer in the middle of the park. He plays that little number 10 role. He has an eye for a killer pass. He has the ability to dictate the tempo. He's a really, really good footballer. And if Norwich do go down, you expect bids from top half Premier League clubs and, and beyond, frankly, because he's been so good. He's fourth in the assists chart with seven assists this season already, which is pretty spectacular for a team for a player playing in a team who are very much rooted to the bottom of the table he's been pretty much part of everything good that Norwich have done and that link up with Temu Puki at the start of the season was a reason why they did start reasonably well and 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 did get some goals on the board early doors I think that there's so much pressure on him to perform now people have realized that he is the key cog in the Norwich machine and if they are to pull this off, and like you say, they have two games right at the start where they, they have to pick up points. And if they can get two wins from two in their home games, then you never know if the, the great escape could potentially be on for Norwich. And if they do do that, then, then Emi Buendia is going to be an absolutely massive and vital part of that. And I think for that reason alone, he's one to keep an eye on early doors. And look, let's see how Norwich get on. Dean, you were saying there about how their friendlies have have been good and how they've looked sharp and, and quick and, and explosive in those friendlies. And that's going to be a good omen for them coming into the thing. But if they are going to do this, Wendy is going to have a huge role to play. And I would be keeping an eye on him, if not now for Norwich, uh, then to see who he's playing for next season. <laughs> Fair point. And that's pretty much all we've got time for this week on BR Football Ranks. Um, we are hugely looking forward to the Premier League returning. But yeah, we'll be back uh, on Friday uh, with, a, with another episode, a special for Serie A coming back and the latest in our line of previews and, and I suppose the last in our, our line of previews. But yeah, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tai. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Dean Jones. Thanks, lads. Cheers. I've been Jack Collins. If you are listening to this on Wednesday, make sure you come and join us for Hot Mike and some commentary on the Manchester City versus Arsenal game. The second game back, 8pm UK, 3pm Eastern. That's a good game. Midday Western, or well, Pacific time. Um, so, yeah, come and join us. We'll be having a chat. We'll be having answering some questions, talking about the Premier League in general, uh, and also probably allowing me to wax lyrical about my friend and brother, Danny Ceballos. Um, <laughs> So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on Friday with our Serie A special. And thank you so much to Lee and Sam from FPL Family for joining us and giving us their insights before. This has been BR Football Ranks. We'll see you on Friday. Take care.